Hello, hello, everybody. It is Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Hope everyone's doing well. Got a special episode for everyone to listen to today. It is Doug Aldrich, guitar player for the Dead Daisies, former guitar player for Dio, Whitesnake, Hurricane, Lion. He's got his project Burning Rain. He's got another side project, Revolution Saints. He's got a recognizable guitar tone. You guys are all going to enjoy the interview here that's going to play shortly. But we'd like to welcome in friend of the show, Mr. Gerald Guzman, who has been on the podcast twice before with the Christmas episode, Tales of the Sunset Strip, and the very first episode outside of the introduction, which was about seeing Randy Rhodes live the live experience of seeing Randy Rhodes and the common theme with Gerald is always guitar and he's an exceptional guitar player himself uh, heavily oh, you, yeah heavily influenced by Randy Rhodes and the other guitar players from that era I know last conversation or the first conversation we had we talked about Eddie we talked about George we talked about John Sykes and he yep. is ecstatic to be on today's show because he gets to talk about Doug Aldrich, another one of his favorites. What's going on, Gerald? Uh, not too much, man. How you been? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks again for doing this. I know we talked a bit ago about you coming on and introing this interview. The interview finally happened and was uh, really happy about it. It's a great interview, as people will hear shortly. But I know you're a big Doug fan. Doug Aldrich fan, and just wanted to bring you on here to talk more about all things Doug and what makes Doug Aldrich one of the most underrated and one of the greatest guitar players in the music business. Yeah, he's he's freaking awesome. Um, he's got uh, he's like an old school. He likes to use Gibson Les Pauls. He loves going through his Marshalls. Um, he keeps his guitar hung really low, and he just like shreds he's and his tone is killer i mean he's, he's overall just a, a great great guitar player and um through the years we've gotten to know each other and we've become friends and he's a super nice guy as well super sweet uh you would never know um by his demeanor uh he does not have a rock star trippy attitude at all he's a really really nice guy and uh you know great great person overall my listening history with Doug began watching the movie The Wraith with Charlie Sheen back in the mid-80s, and Scotty Brothers had the soundtrack. And I think Ozzy had a song on there, and Lion, I think, had one or two songs on the soundtrack. I think they had Never Surrender and um, Fatal Attraction, I want to say, and they had the album Dangerous Attraction, and I was a huge fan because he had such a enormous tone and such a ballsy style of play. That was what at first attracted me to that band, and then once I found out it was Doug Aldrich, and he moved on from there to, I think, Hurricane, and there was House of Lords, I've been a fan of his ever since. Yeah, my first experience with Doug is the same as yours back in the 80s uh, when he released his first album with Lion um, under under the same Scotty Butters label, and uh, yeah, there was like this buzz about this new band about this guitar player. So that was my first experience with hearing him. 
was with uh, with Lion. And then uh, the first time I saw him is when he had joined Hurricane, and Hurricane had uh, played the Thirsty Whale um, for that album. So that was the first time I actually got to see him play live, and I literally stood right in front of him um, and watched everything he did, and he, he just blew my mind. Um, God, what was it, maybe in the late 80s, early 90s? Yeah, and it was somewhere. It was a Slave to the Thrill album. Yes, exactly. That that's what it was. Uh, he was uh, he had just joined for and recorded and toured for that album. And then I think the next time I saw him is when he was with House of Lords, and House of Lords was the was opening for Nelson um, on that tour. And so I got to see him again. And um, yeah, you know, and it, it all kind of started. Thirsty uh, Wheels when I first actually met him, and then I ran into him again. Um, when he was touring with House of Lords. And then um, how we actually became friends is when Whitesnake went out on a headlining tour and Warren was one of the support bands and I was out on the road with Warren. And um, I would go to every single Whitesnake sound check. And then whenever, um, whenever Doug was uh, at the venue or hanging out, we always, uh, always hung out and talked and we talked guitars. We talked Randy Rhodes. We talked tone. We talked Les Pauls. I mean, we, we were just two guitar guys just chilling and hanging out. And that's how we became friends. Yeah. I was always disappointed that there wasn't more from that lineup with hurricane because I felt with him on guitar and Kelly Hansen on vocals and Jay Shellen, who's a monster drummer as well, who doesn't get enough credit. He's an incredible drummer. I always felt that, that was such a killer lineup with those three. And I think I think it was Robert Cavazos, I want to say, who was the bass player, uh, Carlos Cavazos' brother. I always felt that album had really strong songwriting and really strong tunes. And I was hoping for the best on that because I thought, and I still think that album is a killer record. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I know... Um what had happened was like Robert Sarzo had left the band and then they brought uh, Doug in. Uh, they recorded that record. Uh, they released it like in 1990. Um, but I'm not sure why, uh, why he moved on. I think, um, oh, I know what it was. He ended up um, um, getting into a band called Bad Moon Rising. Um, and I think that was something that was kind of more his band as opposed to Hurricane being their band and he joined as like the, the new guitar player so I, I think it's something along those lines but um, yeah I wish I kind of wish you would have stayed for at least another album with Hurricane because that is like the favorite Hurricane album is the one we've done on it yeah I don't know if there were issues with the record label with that band or you know as it as it was the case for a lot of those bands from that era but yeah it still sounds good I mean the mix and the, and the recording the production is awesome uh, he really does shine on that record too, as well. And yeah, I, I wish it would have. I wish they would have continued on for at least another record. But he was on the bigger and better things too. You know, he went on to Dio. Obviously, there was White Snake. You know, he's found himself in the Dead Daisies now. But you know, he has established himself as a big time player. Uh, recognizable tone. You always know it's him whenever you hear a song with Doug Aldrich. Absolutely. Did you know, by the way, did he bring this up when you were talking to him that he auditioned for Kiss? 
He did not, but I had heard that before, right? That was after Ace left the second time, right? And yeah, I did. I did hear that he. I've I've heard. I heard that probably about close to a decade ago. I did hear that. Yeah, because I think how that all happened is um, House of Lords was on Gene Simmons' record label. Yes, and that's how him and Gene met. And then when Kiss was auditioning guitar players, uh, he got the audition through Gene. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't get the gig. But I mean, it is kind of cool that he had an opportunity to audition for Kiss. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, um, you know, he he has just the 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 White Snake album for me forevermore is such a um, a killer record, and it really is. You know, I've always considered that Doug's record with his discography in his in it, within his career. Oh yeah, yeah, because he co-wrote every song on that record with with uh, David Coverdale. So it is definitely he definitely put his mark on that record. It is, it is definitely a Doug Aldridge record. And he also has his own project too with uh, Keith St. John, which is Burning Rain, which I've always been a fan of too as well. It's a shame that. You know, that doesn't get more play and it doesn't get more of an audience for them to do a live tour together. I know they've done some gigs here and there on some cruises and I think some uh, some stuff on the West Coast. But I've always enjoyed those records whenever they do release new material. Yeah, it was, I mean, pretty much um, for me anyway, and I'm sure the same for you, anything Doug's a part of, I always want to um, get to get a piece of it. So I want to like, you know, every CD, um, anytime they, he comes on the, he's out on the road and he comes into the Chicago area with any of his, any of the bands he's playing with. Um, the one time I, he was supposed to come into town with Glenn Hughes and, um, he ended up leaving right before that tour came to Chicago to do that stint, uh, raiding the rock vault in uh, Vegas. So then I was going to go to Vegas to see him in that, to, to do for doing Raiding the Rock Bob and then he left to go do um, The Dead Daisies so it's like I'm just missing him <laughs> it seems but um, but pretty much anything that he does I want to I want to uh, you know I'm a fan of I want to hear it I want to you know I want to help uh, promote it I want to you know buy the records and CDs and go to the shows and so forth so I mean, I still have a cell phone number, and um, every so often we'll we'll just text each other just to say, "Hey, what's going on?" And he's he's always been really good about keeping in touch, and and um, whenever he does come into town, um, and I get um, have an opportunity to see him, he's always uh, a really great host. He always invites me out to the shows and um, makes sure I get taken care of, and always takes the time um, either before or after his performances to, to hang out for a while and. and go back to what we always do we just talk guitars we just talk about music and um so yeah i absolutely want to support everything he does so just like just like you burning rain everything yeah yeah what um in terms of his career and in terms of his evolution as an artist where do you see you know him from where he was in Lion to now, like what what are some of the changes in his style that you have noticed or you have picked up on? Um, I think uh, his style has always been pretty spot on. I think you know, for me, I've noticed um, you know over the years his songwriting has just gotten better. You know, he's uh, 
he's becoming accomplished. He's always been to me an accomplished guitar player, but it's like he's really starting to come into his own as far as um, you know his songwriting, and that's uh, that's what I've noticed has been the biggest change when you know in regards to Doug. Um, but to me, his playing has always been pretty stellar. So he was he was doing things back in the '80s that were mind blowing, and he's still to this day um, still doing things that are mind blowing. You know, what was it about him when he was in Lion that attracted you to him? Um, probably his uh, his tone and the way he does his he does these he does these like super killer bends that um, you know are pretty signature for him. He and the thing is too, he reminded me a lot of Randy Rhodes, you know, and um, he was. He was melodic when he needed to be, and he was flashy when he needed to be. But he he uh, always seems to find uh, what needs what the song needs. He solos for the song, uh, same way Randy Rhodes did. You know, it wasn't just about guitar aerobics. He just doesn't. We know I know Doug can shred, but he doesn't shred on every on every solo that he plays. There's a lot of um, melody in what he does. There's a lot of feeling in what he does, and, um, and those are my favorite type of guitar players. You know, the guys who play. Um, the right things at the right time at the right moment for the right song. You know, so guys like, like him and then guys like Neil Sean, same thing. I mean, I know Sean can shred his ass off. I know Doug can shred his ass off, but they don't always have to do that to be impressive. You know, uh, he can bend a note and hold it, and that'll, that's just as impressive to me as in playing 20 million notes in four measures. It, you know what I mean? Absolutely, so, yeah. You know, he plays for the song. You know, I mean, there there are certain guitar players out there that overplay. You know, sometimes they they you know they they feel like they have to play something great in that moment when sometimes just the simplicity is what's needed for the song. Absolutely. I mean, on a side note, just now that you mentioned that, I remember seeing a band where they played uh, like a, a typical cover song, like like let's say Jesse's Girl, right? Simple song, simple guitar solo, and the guitar player, when he got to the solo section, played like an Inve Momstein guitar solo over Jesse's Girl. <laughs> like, dude, really? It's not, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't belong there. You know, where I'm not impressed by the fact that you just played a million notes for Jesse's Girl. You know, I would have been more impressed if you played the Jesse's Girl solo. <laughs> right, <laughs> so. right. Or, or something that, you know, kind of measures up to it. it you know, it almost feels right. like some people feel like they have to shred in order to be considered great. Where, like I just said, sometimes it's the simplicity. It's the notes you don't play that make you great. You know, it, it's, it's, the, it's the feel instead of the, instead of the shred. Yep. And that's what I, that's what's great about Doug. He's got, he's got a, a he's got both the feel and the shred and he, he uses both, um, sparingly and, um, does some really great things. And also even like in bands that he didn't write the solos, like when he was in Whitesnake, he was playing those John Sykes solos pretty true to form. And same with when he was in Dio, he was playing Vivian Campbell solos, um, you know, pretty true to form. And, you know, he was telling me, he told me, you know, he felt that the solos are, the solos are just as important um, as, uh, as the melody lines of the song. So he wanted to, to be true 
to those songs and play those solos um, pretty pretty close and dead on. So that was one of the things I always admired about him too. Um, he could do his own thing, but then when he was playing, you know, Still the Night by White Dick, he was doing John Sykes' solo pretty pretty close. I mean, pretty dead on. And I always admired him for that too. And, and as you mentioned before, you missed him with Glenn Hughes. You're going to get a chance to see him with the Dead Daisies upcoming release and more than likely a tour after that. That's going to be pretty exciting to see him and Glenn Hughes, along with Dean Castronova, on the same stage together. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, exactly. You know, that those three guys themselves, I mean, Dean can sing, Glenn can sing, Doug can play, you know, like nobody's business. And plus, Glenn is a bass player, too. I mean, that's just going to be an, an interesting an interesting thing to see considering where Dead Daisies came from. Right, right. Well, hey, man, I appreciate you doing this. I hope you enjoy the interview as much as I had doing it. Uh, you know, Doug was yeah, great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, let me know what you think. Give me some feedback. Give me a text after you listen to it. But uh, thank you for coming on here, talking about Doug Aldrich, one of my favorite guitar yeah, players. Yeah, thanks again for having me on. I, um, I, you're doing a great thing with your podcast, and I look forward to hearing your episodes, and I appreciate you um, having me be a part of it. And uh, So thank you. Absolutely. Anytime you want to come on, man, you're more than welcome. So open invitation. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it, buddy. All right, everybody, enjoy the interview with Doug Aldrich. We'll talk again soon. Take care. Welcome back, everybody. It is Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Hope everyone's having a great day. We would like to welcome in our next guest, the current guitar player for Dead Daisies, former guitar player of Dio, Whitesnake. Current project is also Burning Rain that he does uh, from time to time. And also the new album coming out this past January, Revolution Saints. I'd like to welcome Doug Aldrich. How are you doing today, Doug? I'm good, Jay. Thanks for having me on, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, as we always begin with a first-time guest, we always ask the same first question, and that is the essence of the show. Just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a band, a performance, a song, or album, that hook them on rock and roll. What hooked you? Wow, it was a long time ago. I would say um, the guitar itself hooked me in. I mean, I, I just, I just discovered the instrument, and um, I started to immediately gravitate towards. Anytime I'd see uh, a band playing, you know, either live or, and I'm when I say live, I mean like at a school auditorium or something, or um, on TV or something, I'd gravitate towards the guitar player. And rock and roll was, um, you know, I, I, I grew up in the seventies and, 
it was, you know, stuff like the Almond Brothers and and Zeppelin and stuff like uh, Jimi Hendrix was on the radio. And I just love the sound of the guitar. So I would say it's, it's pretty simple for me. It was the guitar that got me into it. And what were your influences? Where did it go from there? I mean, you, you gravitated towards the guitar and the songs that you were hearing. Was there a specific guitar player that moved you to want to pick up and play the instrument? Well, uh, once I, I had already started to play before I actually even knew anybody's name. I didn't know, I didn't know the names of the, of the people who, who were on the radio or anything like that. Um, but I had started playing guitar, and the very first song I learned was Smoke on the Water, the first riff. And I played it incorrectly, but at least it sounded kind of like it. And um, um, and then the, the second song I learned was was um, just the main part of an Allman Brothers song called In Memory of Elizabeth Reed. And these was, was cool because these were um, just riffs that you could just play for hours, you know? Just, just keep going, keep going on it. And and it was it was just so fun, you know? You'd think it would get old, but it wasn't. And then eventually I found out that, you know, Led Zeppelin had a guy called Jimmy Page and his guitar playing um, movie. I think the the first like guitar player that I really knew who it was though was Jeff Beck because my sister had an album and that's how a lot of people discovered musicians was because you'd see the album cover and you'd go, oh, that looks cool. I wonder what that's all about. But his was, um, it was an album called Blow by Blow and he had a, uh, he was on the front cover in an artist's rendition of him playing a Les Paul, and, and I put the record on, and that's that's a classic guitar record, blow by blow. It's like an instrument; it's, it's instrumental, but his guitar speaks perfectly clearly. So that's all he needed. He didn't need a vocal, and that was that was the first guy. And then eventually, um, Jimi Hendrix was doing you know Purple Haze on the radio and stuff like that, and that was that was a bit over my head, but. Um, but I loved it. And then, um, as I said, the Southern rock thing with the Allman Brothers and Leonard Skinner, this was really fun to jam on. And then as time got on and I got better, I discovered more and more and more players from Richie Blackmore and Tony Iommi. Iron Man was a big song. It was really simple, very similar riff to Smoke in the Water. And then in the end, you know, the guys like Eddie Van Halen and Randy Rhodes and Gary Moore, came out in the 80s and well in the 70s and 80s and they just took over was there also a moment too now you're hearing all these great guitar players that you mentioned what was the moment where you said i want to get up on stage and i want to play like these guys well i think it was earlier on because i was by the time bands like van halen came out and and stuff like that. I was already, um, we would basically, my friends and I, I had some friends that they were brothers and they played, one played drums, one played bass. And I would just show up at their house on Friday after school and I'd go back to my house on Sunday afternoon. We would just go, we would just practice and practice and practice. And I, I had previous to that done some gigs with some bands in um, Pennsylvania where I was growing up at that time. And and I realized that, you know, it's super fun to perform, but I also was really like a sponge and it was more fun to learn to play these riffs and songs, like to figure out how to play um, La Villa Strangiato by Rush or or uh, Mistreated by Deep Purple or something. It was just really fun to fig- try and figure that stuff out. And then it wasn't until I 
got to LA um, in 1981 that I discovered, you know, or, you know, I got in a band and started playing on the Sunset Strip. So it was, it was really later that I that I I got serious about performing. The new album is Rise. It's the third record by Revolution Saints. The self-titled record, record in 2015 followed up by Light in the Dark. It sounds like, or it seems like, you guys have fun coming together and doing this project every couple of years. We do. It, it's you know, if you if you had asked me if we would be doing a third album, I would have said no because you know, I, to be honest, I'm, I'm not really a fan of these project bands. Like what what I'm doing with these guys. I'm not really into that because I think that, you know, you should, you should you get to the fans and you should um, play, you know, and, and tour and do stuff like that. And um, so after the first album of Revolution Saints, it was, it was going really well. We got a great response. And of course I love working with Dean and Jack. Those guys are, they're no, it's a no brainer. It's so fun to work with them. We got some really great offers and, we just couldn't do it. You know, everyone was busy doing their own thing. Um, so we, we, we turned them down and, um, I thought, okay, well that's it. No point in doing another record. But, um, we, we got an offer from frontiers to do another record and it was basically, it's a frontiers band. They own frontiers owns it. So it's, it's their band. Um, so it, the second album was like, okay, let's do it. Let's, you know, Frontiers wants it, and and I kind of justified it by thinking I I had had conversations with a lot of people saying, you know, what, it doesn't matter that you guys don't tour. We just like I just like the music. You know, it's it, very '80s melodic rock, heavy you know stuff for for melodic rock, and it would really sounds like it's a throwback to that time. And so people just wanted it more. So we that's how both the second and third record came together. Was that. Um, Alessandro Del Vecchio kind of pushed it to say, hey, let's try and do this, guys. What do you think? And and everybody was up for it. How is so that's the, how it... Yeah, how, how is the collaborative process with you three? I mean, you guys, obviously, you work with Dean and the Dead Daisies, you know, Jack Scott, yeah. Night Ranger. How does that all come together with a project like this? Um, it, it, generally speaking, it, as I said, it starts with... Um, Frontiers has a, a really great guy that they use for a lot of projects for, for uh, producing and writing, and that's Alessandro Del Vecchio. And Alessandro got a batch of songs together each time, um, and uh, especially on the first album, he, he pretty much did everything. We just we, They had asked us if we wanted to write for it, and we thought, yeah, we would, but then we just were... We were really all busy and didn't get it done. We talked about it, but before we knew it, there were songs that were already ready to go, and it was like, they're cool, let's go. Then on the second album, Dean and I wrote a bit more for it, and we wanted to go, I wanted to go a little bit more of a colorful, darker thing. But um, So it was a little darker, and I liked it. had some different flavors, which was nice. And Alessandro did the majority of the writing, I think, on that as well. But on the, this new one, Alessandro took over again, and, and it's kind of a little bit back towards the lighter, uh, more melodic first one. And, uh, and so then he would send the songs to me or to the guys, and, and depending on if anything needed to be written or changed or suggestions, you know, it's basically like 
you wouldn't have to make any changes to his demos, but I just felt like, hey, you know, as an option, we could try this and go to this kind of a part or change the melody here or change the guitar riff to something a little different. And so I ended up kind of influencing some of those songs on the, on the new record, but mainly it's Alessandro Delvecchio that should get the credit for that whole direction and everything. Now, you mentioned wanting to take this out on the road and everyone's kind of busy with their other things. Of course, you know, you, like I said, you and Dean and the Dead Daisies, Jack and Night Ranger. Is it also what the current landscape of music is right now, where it's hard for a new band to get, you know, a connection with a fan base enough to go out and tour? Well, that's, that's, that's definitely true in, in a large degree aspect a lot of newer bands are having to deal with and it's, it's hard for them, but they have to embrace it and try to find other ways to market their band. But for us, for some reason, you know, I guess it was well, partly because it was five years ago when we started this whole thing. Um, it was easier. We got some great offers. We just couldn't, you know, I mean, to be honest, Jack, especially, um, and at that time Dean was in journey I had just left Whitesnake and was kind of really content being at home as much as possible. So I wasn't like aching to go on the road at that point. But, um, but for example, Jack, you know, that's his, that's, he's the leader of that band pretty much him and Kelly and, and Brad. And they have, I don't know, there's probably a hundred people that are employed by night Ranger. So it's not going to go over really good. If, if Jack says to his family, his team, Hey guys, I'm going to take off for two months and go on the road with revolution saints because it, it will cut into their offers that they might get because somebody might say, Hey, we've had night Ranger for the past two years. Let's go with revolution saints. And then night Ranger loses out on that, that, that territory maybe with that promoter. So it's just, it, we had offers, we could have done it, but we just made our, we made the choice to, you know, made to maintain our, our bands and our, our responsibilities before we, you know, instead of going out. So that's what we did. But it is difficult with the new band. Um, and and that's that's part of the thing that's it's a little bit like, you know, I think a lot of these projects, there's no way for people to get behind them. There's so many of them, you know? Um, so people can't really go and support them six nights a week in their local town, you know, because there's so many of them. And a lot of them don't tour anyways, so... Yeah, that's true. You know, we have a you know we have ongoing discussions here on the podcast about the state of rock and roll, and one of the things that we talk about or I talk about a lot is the lack of infrastructure right now in rock music. Where you know, whereas years past, you know, in the eighties, in the seventies, you had rock radio had a huge presence. Obviously, there was MTV that was an outlet for a lot of bands to get their songs heard and videos seen. And right now, there's really nothing. Everybody kind of relies on social media, and that's great because it can connect you to a lot of people all at once. But there really isn't that infrastructure for a band to go to to release their music and it be accepted and absorbed by a big group, mass group of people. That's true. But, I, you know, I, I feel like it's, it's, it's been a natural involvement of getting away from that because those guys in those record companies, I mean, it just got to the point where they, where they say, if you, at that time in the eighties, if you had guns and roses and everybody wanted to have a guns and roses, and then all of a sudden guns and roses, there's a lot of them out there and it's all kind of similar. 
that Guns N' Roses is still the best, of course, but it just kind of waters it down. And so this way, you know, people really have to commit to doing it and, and really fight for it. And you got to have great songs. There's a, there's a couple of bands. I mean, I don't know exactly how the Greta Van Fleet thing has evolved or how the story is, but the way it started, it seemed like was it's kind of self done, self produced, or or at least on a smaller on a smaller way. Um, there's a couple of bands. My buddy Brian Tishy's got his band um, Silverthorn that is they're they're doing it by themselves um, with a small label. And then there's bands like I think Dirty Honey. This band this new is um is you know of course they have really good management behind them and they have maybe a little money, but they're just going out there and and roughing it, getting out to the fans and playing good songs. And it seems to be working for them. You know, they're getting a lot of hits and a lot of um, down, streaming downloads. And so for me, I, if I was, you know, if I was starting from scratch, I would, I would be working on marketing and as much as learning to play guitar because if you market yourself properly on social media, you will get noticed. And if you've got good songs, they'll stick. There's also a lot of platforms out there, you know, whether it's YouTube or, you know, we talked about social media, Facebook or Twitter. You also have, you know, many platforms to put your songs on Pandora, Spotify, you know, uh, Google Play, all those iTunes. Do you also feel that maybe there's too many platforms for people to go to instead of having, you know, one or two places to go and, and, and see new music or hear new music? There's a lot of them. I, I just, I, I hadn't really thought about that, to be honest with you, but now that you've mentioned it, yeah, there is probably a few too many, but that's how it is. There's, you know, it's, it's free enterprise, so people can, anybody can start up their own their own channel or whatever, I guess. But um, I, I kind of, you know, I've discovered Spotify, and I really like Spotify for myself. Um, initially, people are like, oh, man, you should still buy the CDs and blah, blah, blah. Um, but out of, you know, the necessities of my life is super busy with the dead daisies. And also when I'm not with them, with the family, it's just easier to be able to go, bam, hit, hit the, you know, line up the songs I want to hear and hit play. And, and, you know, you cherry pick those songs or you listen to the old album or whatever you want to do, but that's the platform that I like a lot. And dead daisies is on that burning rains on that. Every, pretty much everybody's on Spotify. Now, you mentioned the Dead Daisies, you know, and you mentioned Brian Tishy. Brian Tishy, that, that Silverthorn uh, band that he has is, is incredible. I like what I've heard so far. It's really good. Um, Me too. Those guys, those guys are great. Yeah, they really do jam. Um, but, you know, you mentioned the Dead Daisies, and, you know, you guys have a new album coming out in 2020. Um, you guys have evolved into, you know, with different members. Now you have Glenn Hughes picking up the bass and vocals. How has that transition gone? been great it's really really exciting i mean look there's i love john karabi and, and mark and john and i are super tight we've been we've known each other since high school and he's an amazing singer super talented guitar player and songwriter he's a great he's of all i mean i've worked with some amazing lead singers and he john is, is definitely right up there with with all of them and, and his and he's he's got no attitude or you know, he's not, he's, he's not jaded. He's just a good dude and he, he loves to rock and you know, that's what he does. But I think he was getting 
a little burned out on the schedule that we had, which was pretty brutal to promote the last couple records. And, um, and he was doing, he wanted to kind of get back to doing some more of his acoustic stuff, acoustic tours. It's very simple for him. He just shows up with a guitar. He has, he's got, you know, tons of fans all over the world and he can book a month here or there and go out and do these shows by himself where he basically talks and tells stories and then plays the tunes. And it's great. It's like a, a really, he's really good at it. And he wanted to do that and wasn't really wanting to commit to, to too much. And Marco was also, you know, um, a dear friend of mine and super close to the band. He's the one that got me into the day, him and Brian. But, um, he also is doing a solo thing. He's been working at it for a long time. And in his, in his free time, he's been going off and doing solos stuff. And so when it happened that, um, that, that they were talking to Glenn, I, I don't know the exact story, but I think that they basically talked to Marco and said, look, you know, I think we're going to, we're going to go with Glenn and, uh, and, and get him in on bass as well. And, um, what would you think about, you know, if we would could leave the door open for the future, but you know, right now this is the direction that we're looking to go. Maybe that's how it went. I'm not really sure because I I wasn't privy to it. But um, of course, there's going to be fans that miss those guys, and I do for sure. But Glenn brings a whole new aspect. When I heard that they were talking to Glenn, I was I was it was like I was nervous about you know losing the other guys, but then I thought, man, that could be amazing because I've worked with Glenn before and we've been friends for a long time and he's just he, he's a, a force you know he's like Hughes Force One he's just he's on fire and he really brought it on the album he brought in some great songs and then we wrote some stuff together we didn't really know how to you know as much as Glenn and I loved playing together we had never actually written a song together until last year and and it went great and the whole band started to gel and the record turned out fantastic. We're just in in the process of mixing it right now, but I, Glenn is going it, to, it's really a cool thing because Glenn's never had a two guitar thing. I don't think really since I'm not sure um, if phenomenon had two guitar players. I can't remember, but most of the time Glenn's always been with a single guitar player and this is a really different thing for him and it works out really well. So I'm very excited about it. Yeah, and if you look at his, you know, over his music over the past decade, whether it's with California Breed or with Black Country Communion, you know, I know in interviews that I've read with him, he's been looking to tour. I know he wanted to tour with California Breed, you know, the project he did with Jason Bonham, and it just yeah. didn't never really happen. So it's got to be exciting for him too. Yeah, well, I mean, he's been, he's been touring. He's been. Doing his Glenn Hughes stuff. Yeah, he's been doing his stuff. touring. Yeah, his solo stuff. But you know, with the, with the band, I know I know he's he's mentioned that in interviews. Yeah, and and in because with like Black Country, for example, you know they also had very busy schedules. Jason would be doing this, and 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 Joe would be doing his thing, and so they wanted to do more touring, but they just couldn't really manage it. This is a situation now where Glenn's going to be focused. 100% on this year on promoting the record and to, we're going to promote and tour together basically all over the whole world. So we're really excited about it. But most importantly, the music is really exciting. It's got a flair of exactly what you would think, you know, um, with Glenn on lead vocals, 
it's it's a very distinctive sound on the top end and then the the band the band sounds um it sounds like we're going a little more aggressive in some in some spots and then we're we're doing some really different things in other spots but it's it's going to be really good for everybody i think and like i said you know when you make a change it's always difficult you're going to lose people there's no getting around it there's going to be people that that go hey man i really wished that those other guys were still there because that lineup was working. But I think that those guys are still around. You know, they, they may join us for some stuff or they may, we may do it some touring together as, you know, maybe they would support or whatever. But when people walk out of this new lineup, we want them to walk away going, wow, not comparing it to anything, but that was really cool. That's, that's our, our goal. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. I mean, I was, you know, a fan of Dead Daisies. I've seen you guys live a couple times here in the Chicago area, and you know, I've always been a fan of Glenn from the Deep Purple days. So uh, I'm excited, and I'm looking forward to the new record as well. You mentioned change. You know, you mentioned obviously we just talked about the Dead Daisies, and in in, in your career, you've had to deal with a lot of change. You know, whether it's you know going from Lion into Hurricane into House of Lords, and you know Dio White Snake. Has all these experiences helped you become you know, able to adapt more when a situation like this happens to the dead daisies? Yes and no. I think, yeah, just because the more you go through changes like that, you start to learn how to be not so freaked out about it, you know. But at the same time, you I, I can tell you, I definitely, you know, I don't like change. I like, to, I like things to stay the same, but they just don't. So you have to, you have to get, you have to somehow be prepared for that. I mean, this is something for younger musicians too, is I only wanted to be in one band. You know, I wanted to be, I wanted Lion to be my band. I had initially came to LA and and got noticed a little bit and um, did some auditions with people and it started to make me feel like, okay, I've got something going on. But then when I got with Lion, I really felt like I was with who I should be with. And this was a different kind of band. It wasn't like a a sunset strip kind of glam band. It was really um, more of a British sounding band. We were definitely influenced by early white snake and thin Lizzy and stuff like that, along with, you know, some heavier stuff as well. But um, in the end, that band we signed, we made a bad choice and signed a record deal that wasn't good for us. And the band, it cost the band, you know, we broke up because of it. And I realized, okay, well, I'm young and I started getting offers from different people and I got an offer from Hurricane and I thought, hey, why not? Let's make a record, you know, see what happens. And so after after Lion, I kind of was like open to trying other things, but I really was just doing one at, at a time. It wasn't until um, a few years back when I, I, after I left Whitesnake that I actually started to do some some other things at the same time and I just I like it from the standpoint of you know keep it fresh you play with these guys and you play with these guys but really at this point right now I I need to I need to dial that back into focusing back on the mothership which is Dead Daisies because it's really it's really important for me to not spread myself too thin and uh and support that band the way that it deserves to um so everything's kind of taken, you know, at this point, now we're we're in 2020 and, and that's that's what I'm going to do. But back to your back to your question a little bit. Um, you know, 
all the different experiences that, that people get as musicians, like Eric Clapton being in, you know, five or six different bands from Blind Faith to Cream and whatever, um, it, you, you learn and grow from that. So um, it's a good thing. At the same time, it wouldn't suck to be, you know, in, a, in one band your entire career. That would be, that's the ultimate, you know. Yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, I mean, I remember when Lion came out, I remember hearing that record. I always thought that it had a, an edge to it. And then as your career has gone on and, you know, we talked about some of the stuff that you did like Hurricane and House of Lords and there's been Bad Moon Rising, Burning Rain, all the, you know, these bands that you've done and plus, you know, White Snake and Dio. One thing has always remained constant and that's your tone. That's your sound. It's, it's, it's recognizable. Um, no matter what you do. And I think that's great because you can always tell when you're on a record. How, how have you kept the same type of signature tone as, and also evolved as a player throughout your career? Um, it's constantly, you got to constantly work on it. I've, I've gotten, I've evolved sometimes and I've, <laughs> I've gone backwards sometimes too by, you know, by coasting too much in certain at certain times in my life. And when we're talking over a period of 30 years or 40 years, so there's been ups and downs, you know, there's been times when you, you think that you're playing really good and somebody will come and go, that was crap, you know? And then other times you think I just suck and it's so bad tonight. And it's just almost inevitable that someone will go, man, that was so badass. You know? But you don't really know. You got to just focus and, do, and play what gets you happy, which make play the, with the sound that makes you happy and, and gets you off. And that's kind of what all of us guitar players do when, you know, it's like we're always searching for the ultimate sound that we hear in our head. And nine times out of 10, when you plug into any different app or use any different guitar, it kind of comes out sounding like that sound that you're trying to go for. You do your best you can to get there. And it, it, it's kind of like I noticed with, when I was working with Reb Beach, Reb's got his own sound, you know, and it doesn't matter if he plays through a Fender or a Marshall or whatever. Even if he, if he played through my rig, he would naturally adjust it to sound like what he's used to, what he likes. And, and that's how it is. And it's the same with me. You know, if I, if I was to plug into, you know, Eddie Van Halen's rig or something, I would probably make a few changes and it would get back to, the sound that I like, and then my fingers do the rest, you know, it's, but I appreciate that's a compliment that you say that. And I really appreciate that a lot. Um, I think also it is because I just do one thing. I, I'm good. At, I'm good at really one thing, especially. And so that I stick to that, you know? So when I play, it's kind of like, it's that thing. Well, as we close here, um, 2020, you know, we're, we're, we're in February here. When can we expect new Dead Daisies music? It's in the spring. It's going to be, um, I believe it's April or May that the record comes out. And like I said, I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited for Glenn because Glenn is shining on this thing. I mean, this, I'm really happy with the guitar as well. And Dean on drums and David on, on rhythm guitar. It's really, really cool. Um, but, uh, so I'm excited for Glenn. You know, I, I think that when people hear it, they're going to go, wow, she's just, he's just on fire. There was one, I'll tell you quickly, there was one note that he hit and he started it and you know what he was going to do. He's going to 
bend into this this note that's going to kind of be a scream or something. But he started in a place where you're like, wait a minute, that's that's too soon. There's no way he can get to. It's like four bars away where he needs to get to, and he just keeps going and going. And you're getting nervous. You're going like, wait a minute, he's not going to. There's no way he can make that. And then all of a sudden, you get to the part and he hits the note, and then he keeps going, and you're just like, it's like. It's like the biggest comeback. It's like Super Bowl, you know. They, they, he comes back and nails the note, and it's just, it's just killer, man. So, I'm um, very excited for him when people get to hear this. I'm excited too. You know, I, I, I've, like I said, I've, I've seen you guys play a couple times. You know, with the, with the previous lineup outside here in Chicago, and I, I'm looking forward to the new album and the tour that follows and. You know, anytime there's, you know, Doug Aldrich music, it's a good thing, you know? Thanks, brother. I really appreciate your support and, uh, and, and, uh, appreciate your listeners and, you know, keep doing what you're doing and look forward to seeing you in Chicago later this year. Awesome, Doug. Once again, everybody, that's Doug Aldrich. And I thank him again for appearing on the Hook Rocks. This is Jay Scott, and we will talk again soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.